You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with the Authors, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. Today with me is my amazing co-host, C.R. Rice, and our guest today is Barbara Conray. Woo! Woo! Okay, Thank you. first... I have to really quickly say, don't forget to like and subscribe, and we love reviews. So if you're listening and you love us, or you at least kind of like us, please leave a review. We would love that. Um, So thank you, listeners. Also, our sponsor today is Skunk Brother Spirits. If you go to their website, skunkbrotherspirits.com, coupon code DWA10, and you can get um, discounts on all of their amazing liquor that is very, very cool. So, okay. Let us talk about what we're drinking before we begin, shall we? Okay. I found, this is, I don't know, I think I have like a gnome living in my fridge that hides stuff, because guess what I found, Chelsea? I I swear, your fridge is like the freaking Mary Poppins bag. You just keep reaching in. It is, because I found this and I was super excited, which is Flat Rock Cider Company's Ice Ice Baby, which is a cider that is amazing. And I went to Publix the other day. They didn't have it. They were like, it's only a winter thing. And then I was going through my fridge, cleaning it out today, and I found that. And I was like, thank you, Fridge Gnome, for doing that. I appreciate it. That's awesome. What are you drinking, my friend? I'm not sure. Did you ask for me? No, I was asking CR, but you were unmuting yourself in the process. Okay. I don't know. CR, what are you drinking? So this is um, grape juice and vodka. Because grape juice is good for your belly. I read a whole thing about it. All those holistic people say that if you're feeling sick, you drink it and you feel better. And then I feel like the cleansing of the alcohol, you know, it just... Okay, Perfect. we need to stop getting anything healthy referred to on the show because eventually somebody will call <laughs> us out for that. <laughs> but we always do the warning that like, we're just kidding, you know, don't follow just us kidding. medical advice. We literally can give no nutritional or medical advice whatsoever. Okay. Barbara, what are you drinking, my friend? I am drinking a little Pinot Grigio, which is my go-to wine. And so it will keep me happy. I like it. I like keeping you happy. So for those out there that may not know of you, what do you write? I write um, book club fiction. Uh, My new book that's coming out next month is actually historical literary fiction. Um, Book club fiction is like, you know, women's fiction, although I have a lot of men readers also. So it's just kind of, Adults, but not obviously not erotica, but it's um, you know, fun. Very cool. And I love your story. I was we were fortunate enough to talk and meet when I did a little show with the Author Talk Network. I actually did three shows with them. You have a very interesting story of when you started publishing books, though. Yeah. So please enlighten our audience on that. It's kind of amazing, actually. Well. Thank you. Um, I did everything wrong. Um, (laughs) When I decided to 
publish a book. I waited till I was way old. And um, after I retired and after I felt I had the time to do it, because I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, even though it was always something I wanted to do. So I didn't actually start writing until I was 64. And it took six years to write my first book. So it actually published. I was around 70. And then when I hit 71, we celebrated because it hit the USA Today bestseller list. And so I was really excited about that. And I am a real promoter on there's no such thing as too late, too old. Just, you know, if that's what you want to do, just do it. I love that. Thank you. What made you decide, you know what, were you writing before, like at all? Not, I know you didn't publish your first novel, but, you know, to retire and go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put out a USA Today bestseller, which is yeah, what no, I feel like it, you decided. No, no <laughs> it, it didn't work quite that way. Um, I've always written, but just for me, um, also for, I did, um, little pieces that were published in local uh, newsletters, newspapers. When I worked, I also um, wrote the business newsletter for the company and it was so boring that I jazzed it up with some fun stuff and they actually loved it. And so I've always had my hand in writing, always, always, always. I've always wanted to be an author, but no, I never, even considered writing a book. But um, I had a situation where a good friend of mine um, lost her granddaughter to a brain tumor. And this affected me so much that in my head, I kept saying, if I ever write a book, that's what I'm going to write about. I'm going to write about what my friend went through and what this was like and, and and that's, so that was always in my head. So it wasn't like the day after I retired, I sat down and said, I'm going to write a book. But I did start writing that book the day after I retired. And I knew nothing about writing a book. I literally just wrote the story the way I responded to it the way my friend responded to it. I just wrote a story and um, I joined a writer's organization, which I highly recommend that people need to join other writers. And I, and I did. And I met these two women um, at a conference in a bar, where else? And I was telling them about my book and they said, oh, I'll read it. And so I sent it to them. And um, after a while, they came back to me and they said, yeah, maybe you need to um, do something else. <laughs> it was so bad. It was just so bad. So I was momentarily stunned um, for just really literally a moment. And then I started signing up for classes and learning about this craft that I wanted to do. And that's really the story. I mean, I just would not give up. And when 
I'm interviewed and people say, well, how many manuscripts are stuck in your drawer that have never been published? My answer is none because I'm stubborn as hell. Um, I just kept writing and revising this story and I believed in it and, and, and it turned out okay. You know, it turned out to be an okay book. Yeah, no, well, it, it was more than okay. It turned out to be a USA Today bestselling book. Yeah, it did, which surprised the heck out of me. Um, it wasn't, that wasn't anything I was even um, thinking about. In fact, I had an absolute panic attack the day that my that book published because all of a sudden it dawned on me that people were going to read it. It was like, up until that point, it never dawned on me <laughs> that complete strangers were going to read my book, let alone people that I knew and loved. Um, so I was in a real panic, but it never, I never considered um, USA Today or any big list. I, I just wanted I just wanted to hold my book in my hands. And, and I had very small expectations. So um, everything that happened was truly a miracle. I think that's awesome. So what did you do previous to, you know, going in and writing a best-selling novel? Like, what did you do in real life before that? Okay, well, in real life, I um, worked for healthcare in in the healthcare industry. I worked for a health insurance company. Um, I designed healthcare programs and products and I was a business analyst. And then I retired from that job when I was, I guess, 59. And I lasted three months on retirement and thought, I, I just can't do this. I just cannot not work. So I, I, I know, right? I responded to um, an ad in the finance world and I ended up working for JP Morgan Chase and they hired me instantly. And I kept saying, but I have no experience in finance. And they kept saying, that's okay. So that's what I did then for the next four years, I worked in finance. And again, I was a business analyst. So that's what I did. It was always, everything I did was about making enough money to support myself, to support my family. It was never about, this is my dream. I did not dream about being a business analyst. That was not what I was trying to achieve. No, I, I think that it's what you said. It's interesting because um, I did HR for a really long time and I find, you know, people have, they want to retire, which is great. But if you don't have something you want to do when you retire, I, I think that's incredibly dangerous. Again, I am not a healthcare professional, but um I don't think it's healthy not to have something, whatever it is. I don't care if you want to woodwork little bee figurines and sell them at a craft market. Like my um, grandfather loved doing flea markets. He loved doing them with the most ridiculous stuff. He was a writer, right? But I think that's what kind of kept him going. Like that mm -hmm. he had something that he was going to do. And every 
I don't know, Friday, Saturday or whatever it was, he was out at that flea market selling his buttons and his ads and whatever else he was doing, you know. And I don't know if he even ever made any money, truly, honestly, doing any of that. But I think it's what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, you can't just go and sit retiring, you know, unless you, again, have maybe a stack of a million books you want to get through. Maybe that'll keep you going. But I think you have something you have to do. Um, I love that this was based on a story. And I recall when I talked to you, you did a crap ton of research for this, though. So you could talk about it, right? Yes, I did. I did. In fact, that was, for me, the thing that made me the most nervous, um, that my research was right. Because it's, I, I, the book is about glioblastoma, uh, a brain tumor. and. I knew nothing about it. All I knew is this nine-year-old little girl died from it. And I, I was so angry watching my friend literally turn old. I mean, literally, you know how they say their hair turned white? Well, this happened to this woman. Her, she literally, her hair turned white. And yeah, it happened to me too. But, you know, not oh, the same way. Mine was age. Mine yeah. age and genetics. Yeah. Not anything but, terrible. So. But, um, <laughs> It just made me so angry. And that anger is what prompted me to keep going. But once I started researching, I had some incredible experiences. Um, Well, one that was kind of funny was I kept going to my local library and pulling out books on cancer and pulling out books on cancer and pulling out books on cancer. And pretty soon at small library, small town, they started looking at me, right? The librarian, the people at the desk, they're like, oh, here she comes again. (laughs) And it was like, how are you feeling today? I'm fine, you know, I'm good. And and I just kept coming with books. And then the other thing is, I kept doing so much research that I started getting, um, I, I started getting invitations to, um sign up for newsletters i started getting questions like are you a doctor no but i'm an author and i'm researching okay well we're doing you know clinical studies on this would you like to be added to our email yes hell yes i would um because it was incredible it was incredible what i was um given the opportunity to see But unfortunately, what I learned, um, this is a sad part, but I'm also going to give you a happy part that just happened yesterday, um, was the progress in research on glioblastoma moved very slowly. Like in in 25 years, it moved very slowly. Okay. Yesterday, a reader sent me an article from the Institute of London Cancer Society where they are doing research on light therapy and how they are able to pinpoint the cancer cells within the brain and manage to kill them without killing healthy brain tissues. Um, Right now they're working on mice that have glioblastoma, but obviously the hope is that they will be able to do this with humans. Uh, it is the most exciting news I have heard 
And, and after talking to so many people, like I thought, I thought my readers would be like me and not have that much knowledge of glioblastoma, which is yeah. why I did so much research. Almost everybody that I talked to that contacted me had someone who had died from this brain tumor, a mother, a father, a, a brother, an uncle, um, you know, everybody, like everybody, not everybody, but so many people have been affected by this disease. And the reason that it is so almost unlikely to get have a recovery is because it's been impossible up until now, there's this chance, but it's been impossible to remove all of the tumor without affecting healthy brain tissue. So now there is a chance. Oh, wow. And, and I am so thrilled. I am just, I'm thrilled that this person contacted me. I'm thrilled that this is happening. I've been blasting it everywhere. And um, I'm really excited. How did your, that's amazing. First of all, amazing. Yeah. How did your friend feel when this book came out? Okay, that's a very good question. I, I didn't tell her about it for a long time. I mean, before, while I was writing it, I never told her. When oh. I knew it was going to be published, I wanted to dedicate the book to her. And that is the first time that I told her about it, that I was writing this book. And I oh, asked wow. her if I could dedicate the book to her. And she said, no. She said, oh. and this was probably 20 years that from the time her granddaughter died until my book was going to be published. And she said, it still hurts too much. Thank you for writing the book. I can't read it. And I would not, I do not want my name in it. And I said, okay. Oh, and wow. I know, I know it was, it was, it was something that this woman will never recover from. Wow. Yeah. It's devastating. And, I, and I've heard so many stories. I mean, so many, many stories. And, and the people are, the people who, the people who die are young. Um, they can be infants. They can be teenagers. They can be nine years old, like my my friend's granddaughter. Um, and it's supposed to it's supposed to land. It, it generally glioblastoma affects middle aged men. I know four people personally who have died from glioblastoma, and not one of them is a middle aged man. <laughs> but that's where the statistics lie oh, is wow. with middle-aged men. So, you know, the book is not, uh, the book is not a medical book. I mean, it's a novel, it, 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 but it's, I started the book to be about the child. And then it dawned on me that the child needed a friend. And before I knew it, the friend became the person who grew up to be the doctor who discovered the cure. And the only part where the child was actually in the book was the prologue and the epilogue. Oh, wow. And it was supposed to be her story, but that's not the way it turned out. 
Well, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you've obviously had a lot of people reach out to you about this thing? I did. I did, which surprised me a lot. It really, it really did. I was not prepared for that. I've had um, a few people did not like the main character, who is the doctor. Her name is Emma. They did not like her because she was so focused and she literally sacrificed her own family, her husband and daughter, um, so that she could devote her life to research. And, and I got a few comments in reviews saying, I hate this person. You know, oh, I, wow. can't, I, can't, I can't like your book because I hate this person. But I've had so many doctors and nurses saying, this is what it takes. This is what it takes to do groundbreaking research. Wow. And the other thing they said is, if I had made my doctor a man instead of a woman, I would not have had that reaction from the few people because nobody thinks twice about men being so single-minded and focused on their career. And Emma wasn't focused on her career. She was focused on a cure. And she was focused on the cure because she made, when she was 10 years old, in my book, my child doesn't die till she's 11. And she made her, the child who died, she made her a promise saying that she would find a cure. And she grew up, went to medical school. And in my book, she found a mythical cure. I think that's awesome. Was it cathartic for you writing this book? It got rid of a lot of anger. (laughs) It really did. Um, And it was cathartic to, to talk to other people who understood my need to write the book and who, who, who really thanked me for bringing it to light, for putting an emphasis on something that has not gone far in research. Um, so, and, and the fact that I was willing to listen to their stories, um, it was heartbreaking. And, and again, it was something I wasn't expecting. Um, everything about my journey to becoming an author was not what I expected. I well, expected to write a book and, you know, just so maybe have it die a no. slow death somewhere. <laughs> well, let's talk about that right after the break. We'll be right back with Drinking with Authors. Okay. Winter is coming. Prepare with a fine cigar and listen to the Cigar Nerds Podcast. We smoke cigars and talk about movies and all kind of nerdy things. Available at CigarNerdPodcast.com. Also on the ESO Network at ESONetwork.com. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. 
Skunk Brother Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunked. Okay, we're back. So let's let's talk about what you expected versus what happened because there's another there's more books following this one. So what you expect? It dies slow death somewhere. So did you really think it was only going to be one book? Well, to begin with, I did. But to be perfectly honest, I started writing, and and this is again how naive I was. I started writing the second book based on a secondary character in Nowhere Near Goodbye, who I absolutely loved. Now, when I started writing the second book, which is actually a prequel to Nowhere Near Goodbye and starts in 1948, which is what made it historical. And, um, I had no idea that Nowhere Near Goodbye was going to do so well. So I'm just writing the second book based on the same thing I wrote the first book, which was just guts and promises and hopes, you know, because I did not know. I mean, that book could have just as easily, and it hasn't come out yet, so let's hope it doesn't die an easy death. Um, (laughs) I've, I've shown... I've shown it's shown a lot of interest. I mean, it's really um, it's it's really been garnering a lot of interest. So I'm happy about that. And but it comes out next month. So, yes. Very cool. And the name of that one? That one is My Secret to Keep. Very cool. Very, very cool. And what else are you working on now? Well, I do have the third book, which is coming along. I just finished um, the first, the the rough draft of it, and it is completely different. Um, It's still women's fiction, but because women's fiction basically is there has to be an emotional arc from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. Doesn't matter whether it's a man or a woman, there has to be this emotional arc. So I decided that I really wanted to take a man through the runner, the ringer. I really wanted to take a man and I wanted to make him a good man, and then have a situation that would affect him to the point where he turned to be not so nice. And then he kept going and another situation occurred and he came back to himself again. And so that's, I'm having a whole lot of fun with that book. 
Very cool. Very yeah, cool. So, so totally different. I love that. It took you six years on the first one. How long again did it take on the second one? Um, from start to finish, I would say a year and a half to two years. Okay. Yeah. And what, what about book three? Well, book three, I've been writing. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I started writing it sometime after um, I got finished with my secret to keep. It hasn't been that long. It, the writing is going a lot faster. In fact, the first 50,000 words were like, it was just pouring out of me. And then of course that slows up, but, um, and now I'm, I'm going back and I'm like filling in all the layers that I need to have and everything. But, um, it, it's been a, a it's been a, a, a different process. I've obviously learned some things. I'm certain I haven't learned enough yet. Um, I am not a true um, outliner. I don't outline my entire book. I know how the beginning is and I know what the ending is. And everything in between is just by the seat of my pants. Uh, I think and, that's perfectly fine. I don't yeah. think you have to outline. I think outlining can help some people, but you know, if I've learned one thing from doing this show, upwards of 300 episodes an hour, something like that, something ridiculous, um, I have learned that there is no right way to write other than um, making sure you learn your craft. Some people exactly. are born with the ability to do the writing very, very well and tell stories well. Some people are really good at just telling stories. And when it comes to writing, sometimes they're not as great as putting the idea down on paper. And so I think that's what you have to do is continue to hone your skill as an author and realize where you need to improve and be exactly. willing to learn where you need to improve. Exactly. And that I'm a firm believer in that. I'm a firm believer in first thing is always reading. I'm always reading, whether it's in my genre or outside of my genre, I am always reading. I'm always, I continually take craft classes and uh, it, it's, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot, um, you know, there's a lot to it. It's not just what I thought initially. It's not just writing down my story, you know, and I, I, it's like, it amazes me now really how naive I actually was that I just had no clue. Well, I don't think you were, you're any different than most people. Like uh, you happen to have a little bit of an exception to the rule and that you are traditionally published and your book one was traditionally published and it was accepted in book two, the same um, book three as well, I'm assuming, or it hasn't, I haven't put it out on submission yet. And I haven't, I would like me and my, and my publisher, my current publisher knows this because after my first book came out and after I hit USA today, I now have an agent. I didn't have an agent to begin with. Um, so the thought is that maybe we will expand our horizons a little bit, but not necessarily. I mean, it, it, we'll have to wait and see, but it will go out on submission, um, which the second book, I mean, I sent, again, naive, the first book 
I knew of my publisher, a small press, very well um, received in the book world. And um, she, that, that press is the only press I submitted to. I sent my book to one press and waited four months and they accepted it. I didn't bother. I was in that four months. I wasn't like looking for other publishers. I just was waiting for this press to take me and they did. And I, I had no idea how lucky I was. Yeah, total um, Cinderella story there with that yeah, situation. And, and especially because when I saw the statistics, they probably accept one out of a hundred submissions. So I don't know. I, I, I was naive. I just didn't know any better. Now, the second book, My Secret to Keep, I again submitted to that publisher. I got a contract in two days. So there was no waiting around. I mean, my publisher was waiting for me to write. She knew I was writing a second book and she was waiting for it. And so, and, and that, I mean, really it has gone quickly from the time I submitted it to now it's going to be published. I think. So you, you say that like second book, but it's not a series. No, it's just it's your not. second book. Yeah, oh, okay. it's, it's my second book and it's not a series, but it is a prequel. But there will be no more books on that subject with those okay. characters. Yes. Um, I, I don't know actually what the definition of a series is. In my mind, it's always like three or more books, but I don't know. It could be, I guess, two books. I, I have no idea. You know, I can't even begin to actually think about writing a series, like going forward. So, so I don't know. So you're working on book three. Do you have a book four in mind? Um, I actually don't. And it takes me a while to come up with ideas. Um, and every book that I've written... Um, is based on something that I care about very much or that I'm really interested in. Um, book one was the glioblastoma. Book two is also glioblastoma. And actually book one and book two are also the Beagle Freedom Foundation. And so is book three. That is one similarity. Book three will also include a subplot about the Beagle Freedom Foundation, which I care dearly about. Um, but book three it, it involves surrogacy. I have a neighbor who has actually become a surrogate mother three times oh, um, wow. for two men in France, actually two different couples, gay couples in France where surrogacy is illegal. They can't, um, there are no surrogacy um, organizations in France. So they come to the U.S. to find surrogates. And so she's done this for two different couples. The one couple she's had two children for and the other one she's had one for. And I found this fascinating. And so that's kind of been like playing in my head for a while. 
And so then I combined that because Stephen King once said, take two things that are totally opposite and jam them together. That's how you write a book. I mean, literally, that's what he said. I took it. I took him seriously because I seemed to do that. Um, so I was doing a book club for Nowhere Near Goodbye. And they asked me this question. What will your, you know, what will you write next? Because they knew I was writing um, My Secret to Keep. Well, what were you writing next? And so I started talking about surrogacy. Two hands went up. I have a friend who's a surrogate, you know, because I started looking for people that I could interview. Yeah. And so I've talked to this woman. I talked to my neighbor. I've talked to some people that work for surrogacy organizations. It just became really fascinating. So my, but my fourth book, if there is a fourth book, which of course I'm planning on there being a fourth book, something else that I found in my life that was interesting through my eldest daughter. She has a friend who has swum, swam, who swam across the English Channel twice, I think. And which is why no easy feat. Why? Because <laughs> because she could. Because she could. Joking, like, and why would you do that? That's an interesting. Yeah, like I saw a video of somebody who tried to do something like that, and like their their tongue was like falling apart, and their fingers and their toes were like like what? There's there's a process. <laughs> that, yeah, there's a process. But literally, the why is fascinating because once my daughter told me about this woman. And I was just like totally fascinated. I invited her out to lunch, a complete stranger, because why wouldn't I? And But she was a friend of my daughter's. And I got to the why. And the why is because she loved to swim. And when she was in high school, she was on the swim team and did all the medals and all of that. She went to college and she was totally intimidated, did not join the swim team did not get into it at all. And when she graduated from college, she said, this is ridiculous. This is still something I want to do. And she started teaching distance swimming. She started getting involved in all these things. This woman is a wonder. And so I have a feeling that swimming the English channel will be somewhere in book four and I explained to her that it wouldn't be the main theme in the book because, or she wouldn't be the main character because I always tear my characters apart. And I wouldn't want to tear this woman apart, but I want her story to be there. And, I, and so I will combine that with somebody else you know, and, and make that story. So I think that's what book four will be about. Very cool. Well, see, you do have a book four. You just said you didn't have a book four. Well, There's apparently a book four. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> you know, I like to keep these things close to my chest. <laughs> that's okay. We and now will, I'm just blabbing it all We will absolutely not tell, tell anybody. That, you know. okay. okay. We'll keep it top secret. It okay. will leave between the three of us. I appreciate yes, we'll that. Just stay right here and not. I, not I thought that for, would be um, the case. I thought know. that would be the case. <laughs> <laughs> We're so good at keeping secrets here on Drinking with Authors. We're not at all. I wouldn't trust us with anything, honestly. <laughs> 
So let's talk a little bit about um, your writing process and where do you write and when do you write and that sort of thing. Okay. I, um, I write first thing in the morning and I, the, the process, and I write seven days a week, the pro, unless I'm on vacation, which I tend to go on vacation just to get away from writing. Um, <laughs> because if I, if I'm home, I'm writing. Um, I have a process where I, I am a very early riser, like three 30 in the morning, uh, oh, wow. have a cup of tea. I meditate, which is I just wonderful. I know that's medical, but still I swear by it. Um, I get some of my best ideas when I meditate. I exercise again, something I'm really big on, have another cup of tea and I start writing. So I'm generally writing between six 30 and seven in the morning. I write straight through till noon and then that's it for writing. And then because my brain literally cannot take anymore. But then I will do research or I will do the God help us all social media and marketing and all of those things that writers have to do that everybody told me in the beginning, writing is a business. And you know what? They were absolutely right. It is a business and nobody likes the idea that it's a business. You know, everybody wants to just sit and write, but that's not the way it works. So that's what I do in my afternoons. And I try very hard to keep evenings free. Doesn't always work. Yeah, no, I trust me. I understand that completely. What about, you are a part of the Author Talk Network. Yes, I am a part of that. that. And so they do quite a bit of education and support of authors. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yes, and I am um, extremely fond of that program. I am extremely fond of... um, Grace, who created the whole program, Grace Salmon, and I'm proud to be part of that organization. Um, yes, we, there's 19 of us. We all have different strengths and we tend to lead with those um, in terms of the panels that we're on and the types of things we talk about. Um, for example, um, I don't write mysteries, but we do have authors who do. So they talk about what it's like to write a mystery. And um, it's a very worthwhile organization. And that actually leads back to how I market my books because um, I basically don't. I basically market other people's books. I will constantly talk up other authors and their books. I will review, I I have found that to add my name to so many different places where people and readers become curious. It's not why I do it. I'm a firm believer. I am and was very fortunate. So I, the last thing I can do is say, look at me. This is what I've done. I can't do that. But I can say, look at you. Look what she's done. And I do that. And I love to do that. And so that's my marketing approach. So Author Talk Network just feeds right into that. And when Grace came up with it, I was like all in because I like that approach. I like saying, 
this is what we've learned. We would like to show you what we've learned because it might make your journey a little shorter, um, a little better, a little smoother. And um, as unprepared as I am sometimes in talking person to person in the real world, I am fine in these virtual situations it's like really i can just put that <laughs> i can just put that cap on and go with it but put me in a room it depends if it's people i know or book clubs i'm great about book clubs because they want to talk to me um they generally like my book um but put me like in a social situation put me at a party where I only know three people and they're busy talking to somebody else, you will find me in the corner. Oh, wow. Just like looking at the wall or something. I am not, I'm not that easy to just put myself out there. Interesting. Yeah. What is I, your biggest bit of advice you give to authors in those at those panels? Or what is the biggest thing that you say to them? Well, one of the biggest things I say to them, because many authors, especially the ones who are still trying to be published, are just totally overwhelmed with the rejection process, which is ugly which I have no experience with. However, I do have experience with not giving up to continue to write, to continue to make my craft better. And that's what I say to them. If writing and getting published is, in fact, I just sent a letter to the daughter of a friend of mine who wants to be published and has a book, and she's just getting rejections, and this is exactly what I said to her. If this is what you really want, if this is what will make you happy, do not give up. Just keep trying. Keep reading. Keep taking classes. Join an organization. I cannot speak more highly of Women's Fiction Writers Association. They provide such support. I mean, it, it can be... It can be so horrific to feel like you're not any good. And I do suffer from imposter syndrome, even oh. where I've been, even what I've accomplished. I still, I'm writing book three and I'm thinking, is this book any good? Am I really a writer? Is this the book that will prove I'm, I'm still trying to prove I'm a writer. Um, so it's a real thing and, and you need people who will say, yes, I feel this way too. And yes, I've overcome it. And like, I don't read my reviews because, because in the beginning I read every single one. Oh, did somebody review me today? Let me go look on Amazon. Right. And, um, fortunately now you, you can only look at different ratings and not look at all reviews but in the beginning I looked at every review and a couple of them were so bad that 
I felt like I really could not write my way out of a paper bag. And I mean, literally, I could not write for like 24 hours. And I told this to somebody and they said, really? That short a period of time? That's happened to me. And I couldn't write for two weeks. You know, it's like, so it happens. It's like being an author is like putting yourself on stage, stark naked, and letting people look into your brain and your heart. It's hard. It's true. I tell authors all the time, you're, the moment you publish a book, you're a celebrity. If you do not approach it as if that's the case, and with all of that that comes with being a celebrity, there's a lot of good stuff that can come with being a celebrity and a lot of bad stuff. But the moment you step out there with that book, you're a celebrity. And you Some, are up yes. for whatever happens celebrity-wise with that going on. So you need yes. to be prepared. And I think, you know, a lot of people with book, I have a whole things on the publishing industry as a whole, which could take many podcasts for me to vent about that. But I think a lot of people also don't realize I did a lot of acting when I was younger and I did auditioning. The amount of rejection you get for the weirdest crap when you're auditioning, when you're an actor, like you there, it's almost nonsensical. It's one thing if you're not honing your craft. But people, when, and this is true with a lot of publishing these days, they have exactly in mind what they want to publish. And if you don't look like what they want to publish, they're not interested. No matter how great your writing is or how great the book is, you don't look like they want you to look. Not visually, but the book does not look the way they want it to look, so they're not interested. That happens with acting all the time. I've been in you know, casting situations where I've been with other actors and you just go, okay, because I'm six feet tall. I don't fit a lot. I of had no idea. Yeah. I'm six feet tall. I'm um, five I, feet tall. Ciara's yeah. <laughs> met me live and in person with friends. She knows I'm huge. Like I'm really tall. So I've never been really the damsel in distress in any kind of shows or anything like that. I've never bothered trying to go out for that part. Cause I can already tell you, I'm not going to look like, what they want the damsel in distress to look like for those kind of things. And I think, you know, authors need to develop a little bit of thick skin. If you're putting your artwork out there, the moment you do, you have to remember you put your artwork out there. Yes. Whether it's I think it's also one of those things you got to remember not to like, you want to be different. So like, if you see, there's a bunch of like when the vampires were really big, there were what 50,000 vampire books released every day. Like if you're going to do something, and that's what you want to do. I'm not saying don't do that. Just make sure you still maintain that little bit of individuality with it too. That's true. Let me tell you a funny story. Um, I ran a book club a few years back and invited an author to talk about the book. And I invited my daughter to come. And my daughter is lethal when it comes to reviews. I mean, she will tear apart the highest name authors you can think of. She will find something wrong with their book. And even if she likes the book, she only gives it three stars. I mean, she is lethal. Wow. So I have no idea where she gets that from because I'm the exact opposite. I mean, Amazon won't even let me review because I give everybody five stars. It's like, you know. Um, but anyway, so she came to the book club. She didn't like the book. She was very nice to the author. She didn't say anything. And 
afterwards, she said to me, I stopped writing reviews. And I said, why? And she said, because for the first time, I realized that authors are just people. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that's true. You know, it's interesting is I could be, I was talking about this recently on one of our shows is that on Goodreads, you can put yourself up for free copies of books. Um, but if you get the book, you have to review it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it's not. Be careful no, what you wish for. No, because you can't gracefully back away from if it's not good. And not only that, I'm a huge advocate of not finish reading. To not finish reading, cider's kicking in apparently, not to finish reading books. Don't waste your time if they're not good and you're not enjoying them because you're literally giving them your time if it's not going to get any better, right? So I, you know, with these ones, I had to finish. That's how it worked. Like I had no choice because that was the agreement. Yeah. And several of them, and I probably, I, I don't remember exactly how many I got. It was at least five, but some of them were really crap. They were pretty terrible. They, they were hard to read and not just because it's not my genre, because I can, I can be a genre whore. I can go into other genres. Yeah, they were just not well written. The story didn't move forward. It, it was there were some really terrible things about the books, and I was like, and now I have to write a review. And what really sucks is my honest part of me, my radically honest part of me, goes, I cannot lie and say this book was good. I can find some good things about it. But if I'm being honest, like, hi, did you actually have an editor for this? Because you switch tenses like every other page. So you maybe want to look at a different editor if you had an editor for this book for that reason. And it's terrible. So sometimes I tried to find them on social media and go, I need to tell you this because I'm not going to put this in a review that everybody can read in the future. But you should stop sending this book out until you get it cleaned up. It's, it's, it's oh. pretty hard. I've done that too, though, because you don't want to attack authors, you know, like, you know, as an author, like you don't want somebody to go on there and be like, they don't even know how to spell, but like you, everybody always has that, that one spot, like no matter how big of an author you are, you read it and you're just like, how the, it's supposed to be then like, there's yeah. always something, but no matter how many people, like Erica says, no matter how many times it goes through something, no matter what happens, you're there's always, always yes, there's always something, but that's different than yes, what Erica's talking being about. Completely a yeah. mess. Yes. I do that too. I send authors messages. Cause I'm just yeah. like, you know, uh, how is that received? I, I how, how is that received by the author? Um, I've definitely gotten some very negative take backs and yeah. things like that because like I, I use a pen name so I don't I don't use my my actual name and like you just get the the rude most ridiculous comments and I'm like dude you do realize that like as an author which I don't always tell them but like as an author like you just go holy crap thank you so much for t letting me know this but like you are seriously breaking off an audience because I could take that fun little email you sent me and blast it on social media because right. that's the world we live in. You get one terrible thing. And like, you're lucky I'm a decent person 98% of the time because you <laughs> catch me on a wrong day. But like, I think I, if it was me, I would, I always appreciate when somebody's like, Hey, I don't think you realize that like 
this sentence is like missing any punctuation or these are the things that you get like you appreciate that but yeah there's definitely been some well i also think authors should ask for it stephen king has a thing on his website and we're actually putting one on the four horsemen website where you can report errors in the book oh really yeah oh that's awesome yep report the errors in the book to us because if we can fix them we want to fix them and it happens you want to fix the errors in the book and as an author everybody listening out there you should be like yes i want to fix this you've got Mm -hmm. to have that thicker skin you've got to go this isn't about you this is about this art product you put out and if you want people to enjoy it it's one thing if it's not your genre for instance if cr was reading I don't know, a murder mystery, and she hates murder mysteries, and she's like, I hate murder mystery. Well, don't read the damn book, right? Like, that's it's not your genre. Don't comment on it. Nobody wants to hear about it. Like, nobody cares, right, that you didn't like this book, because give me a break, right? But if you're going, hey, you have tenses that are messed up. Hey, you have this. Hey, there's these issues, like, that you should look at, and not just one period is missing or one they they like it's great to report those but in the great scheme of things a lot of authors can't do anything to change little things like that like i get it every every book i read i don't care if it's the most famous person in the world you know i'm i'm reading um jonathan i'm listening to jonathan mayberry's um uh hang in the damned and there's a couple times the narrator i was like what and then I'm like, okay, that has to be a typo what that what was said, but whatever, moving on. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, Macmillan, huge book. I'm sure there was 50 proofreaders that went yeah. through that book, including him that missed it. But, but if they're stuck, listen to what they're saying, right? Listen. Mine is the theirs. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. The, like, you know, I do Kindle Unlimited, which Erica absolutely hates. But like, I just like, because I read so fast, it's really hard. Like, my husband would kill me if I bought a book, <laughs> like a, a physical book every time I wanted to read a book. So like, it's great. But like the, the authors that have a really great story and they can't get the theirs. And it's always the theirs and the then and then. Yes. It's, always, it's yeah. not one or the which other. Are, it's always both which of them Which are actually together. one of the simplistic, the simple. The simplest of all of the grammar things that you could right. mess up. I mean, but in my you mind, even it have is. like Google, you you know, if you write in Word, you have an editing program. Use yeah. ProWriting yeah. Aid, use something. But like, it tweaks me out and it'll kill a story for me. Yeah. Like, and, and that's, you know, some of the times where I'm just like, I twitch a little bit every time you read it. It's like, oh no. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? Well, and it's it, kind of terrible that Kindle Unlimited is known as a crapshoot. Like it's it's definitely. I've I've never belonged to it. Um, I don't I don't advocate for it. I'm a huge CR nose. I think that it is great to allow um, uh, Create Space, which was before Amazon bought them. Create Space was phenomenal, and what you know on Amazon. Barnes and Noble has a really good site. Kobo has a really good site. And so does Ingram to allow people to self-publish their books. The ability to upload and fairly easily walk through the steps to self-publish your book. Awesome. iBooks too. That one's a little harder, but it's great. It's great. The only problem is there is absolutely no quality control. Yeah. 
Yeah, there really is. A, the thing that I really liked initially was I, I have authors that I subscribe to and I, I stock, right? So like I go through and the thing that I love is with Kindle Unlimited, you get it first. Yeah. And like, I'm that person that like, if I really like something, like I want it first. I do it with video games. I do it with movies. I do it with everything. So like to be able to have that first is it's, I love doing that. But like she said, the, the quality in it has gone down substantially, especially in the last couple months. I don't know if something has changed, huh. but it is bad. It is very, very bad. I read I found three different books that had the exact same cover, the exact same cover. The only thing difference, the only difference was the title and the author's name. Like whoever made that cover is making Beck because like, did you ever see Bring It On? So the little cheer movie where they sold the routine to like 10 schools. Yeah. That's what this person is doing. And I'm just like, oh my God. That's yeah. I, um, that's the thing. In fact, this this girl that I I answered her email this morning, this friend, this daughter of my friend, um, she said she talked to me about, well, maybe I should just do maybe I should just self-publish. And I said, in a perfect world, there is nothing wrong with self-publishing a book. This is not a perfect world. And the problem is that and, and it is that your book then is in a position where there are other books that there is no quality control. And so I feel like I know personally authors who self-publish who write really well-crafted books. They just choose to self-publish and they built quite an audience. And, you know, they've been around for years and years and years. I think that's the part is that your friend has to, your daughter's friend, I should say, and then we have to wrap this this episode up. But your daughter's friend has to be willing to go pay a professional editor, yes. pay a truly professional cover artist, right? And pay a professional typesetter yes. to do this. Yes. Like those are three things. And then if they want an audiobook, they're gonna have to pay a professional narrator, stay the hell away from ACX. Um, you know, to do it, if they want to go that route, it just, they have to be willing to have the monetary commitment to do it right. The self-publishing route and not, I have a book done. I think it's good to go. I'm ready to put it out because they also need to put it through beta readers. There's a lot of steps and I know some wildly successful, can you write self-published authors? I, Cassandra, I like, I know some that are just absolutely brilliant. Jeff Strand, self-published author, right? He's got 40 books out, but his wife is an amazing cover artist. He has a whole entire beta reading team. He has editors, like he already has this whole foundation. So when his books go out, they're quality books. If your friend's daughter puts this book out and it's not a quality book, they are sunk because it's very hard to go back from because people won't want to read it if it's bad or has these issues. They're never going to read another thing she puts out, even if she learns her lesson and fixes it. It's yeah, already yeah. there. And, and, and you have to remember yes. that those people can't be your friends. Like I, I've yes. heard a lot of like the self-published people that are like, oh, my friends read it. I gave it to all my friends, my mom, my grandmother. And they went through it. And I'm like, all right, unless they are like those very brutal, everybody has at least one that is just like a, a brutal friend, unless it's them. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And unfortunately, if you self-publish a book and it bombs, you're never going to get a traditional deal. No, you know, 
I mean, you'll shoot yourself in the foot on that one. Yeah, big time. I agree. I agree. Okay. So Barbara, it's time for you to do shameless self-promotion at the end of this podcast. What are your books and how do people find them and you if they'd like to? Okay. So nowhere near goodbye is anywhere that books are sold. Barnes and Nobles, um, Amazon, any place online. My um, website has my books, um, which is just simply barbaraconryauthor.com. My new book is on Amazon right now and the both the ebook and the paperback are available for pre-order. And up until release date, the ebook is being sold for $2.99 as opposed to $5.99, which will be the regular ebook price. So that's pretty exciting. Very cool. Okay. I love it. I love this. And I love that you came on the show. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been so much fun. I, it's an honor, honestly. I had so much fun when I was on with, who was it, Grace? And I forget who else. I think, I think it was Linda. Joining. Yes. And we just had so much fun. And I, that's why I contacted you and said, I'd love to be on the show. And I as well. And I'm glad you joined us for your own spotlighted episode. It's well, been amazing you. having you here. Thank you. That's so cool. Okay. So guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the amazing C.R. Rice. And our guest has been Barbara Conray. Our sponsors has been, our sponsor has been, I can do this, I promise, Skunk Brothers Spirits, coupon code DWA10. And don't forget to like and subscribe and we'll see you next time. That's right. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.